Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to First Presbyterian Church of San Antonio. We are so glad that you're here with us today. I don't know why, I'm just particularly excited and invigorated this morning. I, I, I love Sundays. Sunday's like game day for me. So, I mean, so, and I hope it is for you, but it's just, it's just today, even though it's kind of dreary outside, there just seems to have been a lot of energy all across the church this morning. And I'm just, I'm just so glad that we are here together. So, so thank you all for being here, whether you're here with us in person or whether you're with us online. It's, it's good to have you here with us today. And it's good because we're in our 175th year of ministry. And as we've been walking this year together, we've been walking through the gospel of Mark, or rather the story of Mark has been leading us to better understand the origins of our own story by understanding the found, uh, foundation that was set for us by Jesus Christ. So as we study his story, we're also learning the foundations of our story. And we're going to continue that this morning by turning once again to the first chapter of the Gospel of Mark. And today we're only going to be looking at two verses, verses 14 and 15 of chapter one. But you're going to see that in these two verses, there are lots of important terms, concepts, things that need to be unpacked. And so while we're only doing two verses, these are two very loaded verses. So if you will, uh, turn with me to, uh, to Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. You can find it in your bulletin if you did not bring your Bible with you. Mark writes, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O oh Lord, thy word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. I'd like to recommend a movie to you. It's one that I've just recently seen. Morgan and Bo and I watched it together the other night. It's a new movie called News of the World. I don't know how many of you have seen this. Have any of you seen this yet? It stars Tom Hanks and a wonderful new young actress named Helena Zingle, who's probably about 12 years old. It's a great movie, and I was interested in this movie because it takes place in Texas in the 1870s, and San Antonio plays a big part in the story. Now, of course, with it being our 175th year, watching this movie made me ask, okay, so what was going on at First Presbyterian Church at the time of this movie? And I, I don't have time to go into all of that, but two interesting points of fact. Number one is that at that time in 1870, the church was actually located still on Flores Street. So this building did not even exist yet. And also, the pastor at that time was a man named John Witherspoon Neal. I mean, you just don't get any more Presbyterian than that name, John Witherspoon Neal. So I thought that was an interesting little sideline there, but let me tell you about this movie because I really enjoyed it. 
The movie is based on a book by a local author. Her name is Paulette Giles. And it's about a Civil War veteran named Captain Jefferson Kidd, who's played by Tom Hanks. And he occupies himself, Captain Kidd occupies himself by traveling around the frontier of Texas, reading newspaper headlines and newspaper stories from around the country to crowds of people for money. They each pay a dime apiece to hear him read these stories. And it seems strange to us now, but think about it. At a time when literacy was low and daily access to newspapers was rare, these readings would draw the same kind of crowd, the same kind of attention as, say, for example, a traveling show or a tent revival, just something to break up the monotony of their lives. Well, at some point, while traveling from one town to another, somewhere between the Red River and Dallas, Tom Hanks' character, Captain Kidd, rides up on an overturned wagon and discovers this blonde-haired, blue-eyed little girl wearing Native American clothes and hiding in the brush next to this wrecked wagon. The little girl, Joanna, is a lost child. And it turns out that she has been twice orphaned. She was orphaned the first time when Kiowa Indians massacred her family, and she was orphaned the second time when American soldiers massacred the Kiowa family that had kidnapped and adopted her. And so she really was a person without a tribe or without a country, without a home. She was lost. And the movie is about Captain Kidd's efforts to reunite this child with her family in Castroville, down here near San Antonio. But of course, as we think about everything that would have transpired back then, we know that the movie or the, the plot, the effort is gonna be harder than it sounds. As a matter of fact, the reviewer from the Express News wrote this, said, nowadays a trip from Dallas to San Antonio is about four hours with a stop at Bucky's for gas and snacks. But just, before, but just after the Civil War, it would take days and it might involve encounters with child traffickers, despots, and dust storms. Now, I want to tell you, it is not my intent to give away any spoilers on this movie. You should still, after the sermon, still be able to go and watch it and, and enjoy it. But suffice it to say that along the journey, Captain Kidd continues his mission. He continues to read the news of the world, and he reads it to entertain people, but he also does it to inspire people, and in one scene, even to set people free. But along the way, he also discovers that he has another mission, to help this lost little girl get home. Now, the Gospel of Mark says that Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Galilee was the frontier of Israel, far away from Jerusalem. It was, Jerusalem was the beating heart of Jewish civilization, and Galilee was way out there, nowheresville. It was the borderland where God's people and Gentile outsider culture met, and they sometimes clashed, and they sometimes mixed. And Mark says that Jesus came out into this borderlands 
to begin his public ministry. This is the place where he first came to public attention. And it began when he came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Now, gospel is one of those Bible words that we hear and we often use, but I'm not sure that we really understand it. The word gospel means good news. It comes from the Greek word evangel, as in evangelist, evangelism. And the word evangel literally means good message, or more smoothly, good news. An evangelist, therefore, is someone who tells people good news. Gospel means news that brings joy, good news. Now, what's interesting is that in Mark's day, the word gospel wasn't a religious word at all. As a matter of fact, in his book, King's Cross, pastor and author Tim Keller describes it this way. He says that in Mark's day, the word gospel meant history-making, life-shaping news, as opposed to just the, the daily news of stock market prices or, or, uh, or who's marrying whom. For example, when Greece was invaded by Persia and the Greeks won the great battles of Marathon and Salamis, they sent heralds or evangelists who proclaimed the good news, the gospel, the evangel to the cities. They declared, we have fought for you, we have won, and now you're no longer slaves, you are free. A gospel, an evangel, is an announcement of something that has happened in history, something that's been done for you that changes your status forever. We might think about it as the announcement that a, a vaccine has been developed. And soon our lives will change because they can re return to some level of normalcy. No, normalcy. That's good news. But the gospel is an announcement. It's a proclamation. It's not advice. It's not about what you must do. It's about what has already been done for you. It's an announcement. And so Jesus began his public ministry not just proclaiming the, the good news of the world or the news of the world, but he began his ministry proclaiming the gospel, the good news, as Mark says, of God. So what was this good news that Jesus came proclaiming? What was the gospel, the evangel that Jesus declared? Well, here are the headlines. The first headline, he declared that the time is fulfilled. Now the time is fulfilled. What was the time of which Jesus spoke? Well, the time of which Jesus speaks is the time of the coming of the Messiah. The word kairos here, the word for time, does not mean generic time, as in a week, a month, a year, an hour, a day, a minute. Rather, it means a specific time, an exact moment. We might call it a moment of truth, the exact right moment that we've been waiting for. And what Jesus is declaring is that now the time is fulfilled, and this is the exact right moment for the coming of the Savior. 
This is the Lord's way of saying, the time is here. The moment that you've all been waiting for, for since the expulsion from paradise, since Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, the time of the long-expected king has arrived. As the angel Gabriel declared, he is the Savior. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And as John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And as the Father himself declared, this is my beloved Son, and with him I am well pleased. And so the first good news that Jesus utters is about himself. And his announcement, his headline is that the king has come. The king has come. And when the king comes, so has his kingdom. And so the second headline that Jesus declared was that the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, what is the kingdom of God? Here's another one of those tricky biblical expressions that we assume that we understand, but that we don't really grasp. As a matter of fact, the eminent biblical scholar, Old Testament scholar John Bright observed that for all of his repeated mention of the kingdom of God, Jesus never once paused to define it. So we hear this expression, but we don't have a specific definition. The Jews believed that it was a promise that God would once again make Israel a holy and mighty nation, politically powerful, economically prosperous, culturally sophisticated, and spiritually enlightened. This nation would lead the world to holiness deposing evil by the truth of God's law, and God's chosen people would be led by God's Messiah, the blinding, awe-inspiring primarch of divine sovereignty, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And they envisioned it as an earthly fulfillment of thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. They envisioned it as a time and a a state where when all of God's promises of holiness and justice and glory and prosperity would all be fulfilled. It would be that state when the supernatural reality of God's dominion would be fully present and visible on earth, here, now, and in real time. And this supernatural but earthly kingdom of God was the Hebrews' vision of the way things are supposed to be. This is the way it's supposed to be. And so here is the good news that Jesus was proclaiming, that the Messiah is here to change the world and to make a difference in your life now and forever. God is real, he has come, he is personally involved in our lives and the world is changing. The kingdom of God is at hand. But here's the problem. Jesus was saying that the Messiah, the kingdom is here, the king is here and that the kingdom of God is at hand. But all we see, Jesus, is you, the carpenter's son, 
the guy from Nazareth, and you're out here on the fringe of civilization and the borderlands, you're out here on the edge of the desert, you're not anywhere near Jerusalem, how can the, how can the Messiah be here? And how could Jesus make such an incredulous declaration that the kingdom was at hand in the midst of, of the brutal Roman occupation? Also at a time with a corrupt temple system, poverty, and oppression. So if Jesus is saying that the Messiah is here and the kingdom is at hand, what does that mean? If the kingdom of God is not a kingdom of borders and governments and armies and emperors, then what exactly is it? Well, here's what it is, or at least what we believe it to mean. That the kingdom of God is God's vision, God's vision for the world as it should be. Think about this. The people's vision of the kingdom was a vision of earthly power. But the kingdom of God is not man's vision of how the world is supposed to be. It is God's vision of the world as it is supposed to be, as God created it to be. And so the kingdom of God exists where and when people understand that God is king and that God is really in charge. It exists where God is enthusiastically honored, obeyed, and enjoyed by all people, and where all people are known by their love for one another. This is the kingdom of God that Jesus preached and that he described throughout the Gospels. Sadly, the people of Israel made the tragic mistake of believing that the kingdom of God means that God's people are in charge. But the kingdom of God exists not where God's people are in charge. Rather, it exists where God's people know that he is in charge. Not when we're in control, but when we know he is in control. And so Jesus came onto the scene, declaring to everyone he met that the king is in your presence and the kingdom of God is at hand. And he is going to shape the world to, to fit his vision of the world and how it's supposed to be. And from that moment on, Jesus would give his life to show the world how God restores lives and how he changes people and how he sets them free and how he's going to change the world, not through power or force, but through truth and love. This is the kingdom. And then Jesus said, repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the good news. You know, repentance is more than just saying, I'm sorry. It means to change your mind. But it also means to change your direction. Repent literally means to turn around, to change your direction. To change your attitude about God, to change your attitude about sin, to change your attitude about righteousness, to change your will, and then to change your life. Jesus says, repent, turn around, change your mind. But he also says, believe. 
And the Greek word here, pistuo, means more than just to acknowledge or accept facts or information as valid. Pistuo means to trust. It means to trust. It's not just accepting the truth. It's about embracing the truth. It means taking this good news and betting your life on it. Believe means to know, accept, and trust, and embrace the truth. It's like Jesus is saying, stop fighting God. Stop ignoring God. Stop pretending that you're in control and that you can carry everything on your own. Doing that's like trying to fight gravity or time. He says, instead, trust God. Because he knows more about your life. He knows more about you. He knows more about your needs and your challenges than anyone ever will or could. And on top of that, he loves you more than you could ever know. So Jesus is saying, give everything to the one who made you and loves you and trust him with your life. Repent and believe. Now, in the movie, News of the World, Captain Kidd's occupation was to read the people, read to the people the news of the world, to read the, the news of the day to the people on the frontier, on the edge, on the broken fray of society. Our mission, the mission of Jesus, is to declare the good news of God to our neighborhoods, to our neighbors, to the nations. That the king is here and that the kingdom is at hand. That God is with us and that he is going to change the world and make a difference in our lives now and forever. By his own blood, he has paid for your life. And by his resurrection, he has set you free by his victory. He's here to set people free from our own brokenness our own sin and slavery to the broken systems of this world. That is our declaration. That is our good news. Now, everywhere that Captain Kidd went, he read the headlines that the world was changing. And the news changed people's lives. He would read the news and it would change their lives. You know, it reminds me of the story of Juneteenth. On January 1st, 1863, Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation, declaring that all persons held in slavery in the Confederate States were free. But the news of that freedom did not reach Texas until Union General Gordon Granger landed at Galveston on June 19, 1865, more than two years later. On that day in 1865, those who were held in bondage for generations discovered that they had been set free from their slavery. And that news was not just information. It was news. It was information that changed their lives. It set them free. It declared that no man had a right to hold them in bondage or hostage any longer. Sadly, however, this news was suppressed and it wasn't delivered to the slave community in Texas for two and a half years for fear that the news of, the free, of that freedom might be disruptive. And for all that time, they continued to live a miserable existence. And it's heartbreaking to think that so many people died in those two years not knowing 
that they were free? How might their lives have been different if they had only heard the news? You know, this is one of the things that's scary about our own context, our own moment in history. What happens to people? What happens to the American people if the news is controlled and suppressed by politically biased and motivated journalists or by social media platforms? How easily are people kept in the dark or kept in bondage if they only hear the news of the day and never hear the good news of freedom? the good news of the gospel of God. And here's something else we should note. In the movie, Captain Kidd did not just read the news. He didn't just tell people the news. He got involved personally. Captain Kidd couldn't just talk about the big events of the day. He had to get involved in this little girl's life. What makes this story so touching is that he didn't find this little lost girl on the side of the road and then just leave her where he found her. And he didn't just give her directions to San Antonio and then to Castroville so that she could find her family on her own. No, he took her home personally. He got personally involved. He endured gunshot wounds and insults and sandstorms and deprivation not to mention the outbursts of fury that come from a scared preteen girl, all just to get her home. The good news of God is the declaration that God is personally involved in our lives and that he's personally involved in our world, that God has gotten personally involved, that he gave up heaven to get down into the mud and the blood and the mess and the stress of our everyday lives so that we would know that he understands us and he cares about us on our level. And so the mission of the church, the mission of Jesus, is to declare the good news of God and to bring his lost children home. This is a call for us to get personally involved in that effort, to get personally involved in people's lives. It's not just about telling them the good news. It's not even about showing them the good news by our good deeds. It's about getting into their lives and living the good news with them in relationship every day. As Tim Keller puts it, the gospel is not advice for gaining the favor or rewards of God. It's not at all about what we have to do. The gospel is about what God has done for us. It's a declaration that he already knows you, that he already loves you, and that he has already given himself, given his son, given his life to prove it. The gospel is not a program or a process. It's a proclamation of God's grace and a plea to trust him with our lives. Joanna didn't have to earn Captain Kidd's help. She just had to put her life in his hands. She just had to trust and follow him.
the hardest part about turning around and trusting God is believing in the reality that we cannot see. Even though Jesus declared that the kingdom is at hand, it's hard for them, just as, for us, just as it was for people back then, to believe the good news of God when all we see around us, all we hear around us is the news of the world, the scary news of pandemics and politics. It's hard to believe when we can't see it. You know, all of our lives take place between Christ's declaration that the kingdom of God is at hand and the desperate plea of the Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come. We live every minute of every day between Emmanuel, God is with us, and Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. It is here, says Christ, and yet still coming. It is now, but not yet. And we live in that in-between time, trusting what we cannot see. But Jesus was declaring that the kingdom of God is here, even though all we see is the seed. Think about it. If you look at a tiny apple seed, it's hard to believe that a huge apple tree is contained in that little seed and that one day one of these will grow into one of those. But Jesus was saying, the king is here. I am the seed. And Jesus was saying that one day the love and the power and the goodness that you see in me is going to put down roots and it's going to fan out branches and it's going to bear fruit and cover the earth and change the world. And he's saying that it happens because the Holy Spirit plants that seed in us. The king comes into our lives and he changes us. He changes people. And when people change, systems change. And when systems change, communities change. Families change. And when people and communities and families change, then the world changes. And where the king rules, the kingdom reigns. And the final promise of God the final promise of God's word is that one day the kingdom transformation inaugurated by his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension will be brought to fulfillment in his return. The enemy will be destroyed. Death shall be no more. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and God will once again dwell with them face to face. On that day, Jesus will make his real victory visible in every sphere and realm of life. The kingdom that was at hand in the first coming of Christ will be visible in his second coming. And on that day, says Paul, every knee shall bow that is over the earth and under the earth and on the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And things on earth will be as they are in heaven. To declare the good news that the kingdom is at hand is to say that God is with us and we are not alone. 
that God is real. And you're not alone. You're not on your own. To say that God is victorious and you are free. It is to say that he knows your name. He loves you. And he can make a difference in your life. This is the good news of God. That the time has come. That the king is with us. Not just back then, but right now. That the kingdom of God is at hand. And he's changing the world. The time has come. Your king has come. His kingdom has come. Turn to him. Trust him. And believe. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, we live in a world dominated by the news of the day. And the din of that noise of that news is so loud that we have trouble hearing the good news of the gospel of your kingdom. The news that the king has come. That he loves us. And that he has come to take us home. Lord, we are orphans. We are lost. And so too are so many around us. Lord, help us to turn to you. Help us to believe the truth of your good news, not just for ourselves, but for others. Help us to get personally involved so that we may take your lost children home to you. Lord, we know that your gospel is all about what you have done for us, not what we must do to earn your favor. And so, Lord, help us to trust and believe in your good news. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. In Jesus Christ, we are loved. Amen.